You're listening to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. Today we'll be reading from one of Martin Luther's sermons given on the third Sunday after the Trinity. This is the second sermon of the day, and he'll be remarking on the text from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. This gospel contains the teaching we hold and boast as our chief doctrine, which is called the true Christian teaching, namely the doctrine of grace and the forgiveness of sins, the Christian liberty from the law. It is a very loving and friendly admonition to repentance and the knowledge of Christ. It is ever a pity that a godless and prudent person should be permitted to hear such an excellent, comforting, and joyful sermon. And yet it is more sad that everyone graduates so soon and masters it, so he thinks he knows it so well that he can learn nothing more from it. Yet God, our Lord, does not permit himself to become vexed or wary in repeating it yearly, yea, every day, and enforces it as though he knew nothing else to preach, as though he had no other skill or art, while we poor wretched people immediately become so overlearned, so satisfied, tired of it, and disgusted besides, that we have no longer a desire or love for it. But before we could take up the subject taught in this gospel, let us first examine what St. Luke gives us as an introduction to show what prompted Christ to preach the following sermon which says now all the publicans and sinners were drawn nearing to him because they wanted to hear him and hear his word and he expresses freely and plainly what kind of people he had about him namely those who openly lived that they should not live and were called downright sinners and wicked people thus it would appear that the pharisees had sufficient reason to blame him because he who pretended to be a pious and holy man kept company with such low characters for at a t- that time the men scattered hither and thither through the land were called publicans, to whom Romans gave charge of a city or of the revenue, of other duties or officers who required them a certain amount of revenue. Just as the Turks or the Venetians now assign a city or office to a certain person, for which he must give many thousands of dollars a year, and whatever he extorts over and above that amount is his own. In this manner they proceed. Those who collected such revenue and tax proceeded so that they had a profit from it. And as this sum thus appointed was large for each city or office, the officers extorted without let or hindrance so that they might enjoy more as their own, for their masters were so close with them they could not gain much from themselves. They desired to act justly and take advantage of no one. Hence, they were reported in all the lands as being great extortioners in whom little good or honesty could be found. Thus, the other great crowds in general were called sinners, who otherwise were worse people publicly lived in a shameful wild way, and covetousness, adultery, and the like. Such drew near to Christ in order to hear him, since they had heard that in light of his doctrine and his many miracles, he was an excellent man. Now, after all, there was a spark or two of virtue and honesty in them, that they had a desire for Christ and gladly heard his doctrine and see what he did, insomuch as they well knew he was a good man and heard nothing but good of him, both in words and deeds so that their doings did neither agree nor harmonize with his life, yet they feel no in, no anger against him, nor flee from him, but go to him, not to seek anything evil in him, but to see and hear something good, and to hope that they might become better. The Pharisees and the scribes, on the contrary, who were held and esteemed as the most pious and holy, were such poisonous reptiles that they were not only enemies of Christ, and could not bear to see him or hear him, nor suffer the poor sinners to come to him and hear him, that they might be made better. Yet they even murmured and blamed him for harboring and receiving them, and said, Behold, is this that excellent and holy man who will now say that he is of God, as he is so chased with such rogues and wicked people? Yes, he is a wine-biber and a glutton, and they say in another place, a friend of publicans and sinners. Such names he must bear from these holy people, 
not because he was riotous or given to gluttony and drunkenness, but only because he permitted them to come to him, and did not thrust them from him nor despise them. For they thought he should have done so, and should have gone forth in a grave frock with sour continents and remained secluded from the common people. And when he saw such publicans and sinners, he should have held his nose and looked the other way, so that he would not become polluted by them, as they themselves, like holy people, were accustomed to do. As Isaiah 65, 5 writes of them, that they kept themselves so pure that they would not dare touch a sinner. As may also be seen in the example of Luke 7.39, where the Pharisees were so bitterly opposed to Christ because he allowed himself to be touched by a woman who was a sinner. Now these, they who were at the times desired to be his master and to prescribe to him and give him rules how he should conduct himself and live holy. Hence they murmur here because he does not hold to them and avoid such public sinners as they do. Now Christ is also of a little self-willed. It shows here that he is simply not to be dictated to by anyone, and that he will be free in all things, as we see also everywhere in the gospel, that a particular firmness or self-will is found in the willing and ready to help, the like of whom has never found on earth. But when they came to him with laws and wanted to be his teachers, then all friendship was at an end, and he starts and bounds back, as when you strike on an anvil. And he speaks and does just as the contrary they demand of him, although they even say rightly and well and have God's word for it. As they do here when they come and say, you should do thus and you should hold to the society of good people and not to sinners. This is oppression doctrine taken out of scriptures. For Moses himself writes that they should avoid the wicked and put away evil from among them. They have the text on their side and come trolling with their Moses. They want to bind him and rule him by their laws. But whether be God's law or the law of man, he will be, in short, be unbound. Like the unicorn of which it is said that it cannot be taken alive, it matters not how you attempt it. It will suffer itself to be pierced, shot, killed, but it will never submit to be taken. Thus Christ also acts. Although you approach him with laws to throw them over him, he will not endure it, but he bursts through them as though a spider's web and gives them besides a good lecture. As in Matthew 12, 3, where they blamed his disciples because they plucked the ears of corn on the Sabbath day, citing the divine command to keep the Sabbath day holy, he turns it around altogether and bursts through the commandment and proves besides, both by scriptures and examples, just the contrary. Again in Matthew 16, 23, where he tells his apostles how he shall suffer and be crucified. And when Peter with good intentions comes forth with the law of love and sets before him God's commandment, says, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall never be unto thee. In this connection, he also gives him a good, strong reply and handles him roughly and unfriendly. It says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou mindest not the things of God, but the things of men. In short, wherever they begin to deal with him only according to laws, he resents it and will be free from all laws and be the lord of them all, by which he thrusts them from him, will observe no law at all as though he were bound to keep it. And yet, on the contrary, when it springs from him, no, no law is so trifling but that he will gladly keep it, yea, even much more than the law could d demand, so that a more willing servant could not be found, when he is left free without a master. Yea, he even humbles himself as lowly as to wash and kiss the feet of Judas, his betrayer, and even protest his disciples at, at that night. As history relates of him, we may well believe, as he says himself, Matthew 20 to 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, 
there of course belong the works of the law, but not as springing out of the law nor compelled by the law, as also may be seen by his life in that he always goes about hither and thither in the land, sleeps at night on the bare earth, fasts forty days without rest, performs so many labors that they feared he might lose his mind, Mark 3.21, or harm his body. He does whatever he should and can, but he will be free and unbound and will have no laws prescribed to him. And whenever one attempts it, there he halts and defends himself most determinately. Thus he is both the most obstinate and the most kind of all men. And at the same time, he is neither stubborn nor slavish, who will do nothing to which he is driven by the law. And yet he does all things in abundance like a flood of good works, when he is only permitted to work of his own free will without being mastered or taught. Thus has been written for us as an example that we may learn what a true Christian man he is according to the Spirit. And we should not judge him according to the law, nor master him according to our own shrewdness. For this reason also Christ is our Lord, that he may take and make out of us such people as he is himself. And as he will not suffer himself to be bound by any laws, but is Lord over the law and all things, thus also the faith of a Christian church should not suffer it. For though through Christ and his baptism we are so highly exalted and liberated that our conscience according to faith may know no law, but simply remain unmastered and unjudged by the same, that nothing else may be so cheerful to us according to the internal experience of conscience, that as though no law had ever appeared on earth, neither the ten nor one commandment, either of God, the Pope, the Emperor, but at all times stand in liberty that we could say, I know no law, and do not desire to know any. For in this state and nature by virtue of which we became Christians, all human works cease, Hence, all law. For where there is no work, there can be no law to demand work to say, Do this, leave that. But we are through baptism and through the blood of Christ, simply free from all works, justified by mere grace and mercy, even live before God alone by them. This is, I say, our treasure according to which we are Christians and live and stand before God. How shall we live according to the outward life in our flesh and blood before the world has nothing whatever to do here? Therefore, a Christian must so learn to rule his conscience before God as to not permit himself to be ensnared by any law. But whenever his faith is attacked by the law, let him defend himself against it and act as Christ does here and other places where he shows himself so firm, exceptional, and odd that neither Moses nor any legal extractor could do anything with him, although he is otherwise the most humble and most gentle and friendly of men. However, this is an excellent sublime art which no one knows but he alone who was the master of it, who was able to defy all laws and teachers of the law. But we cannot attain to this high degree, for the devil sports with our flesh and blood when he attacks a man in his conscience and makes him tell what he has done and not done and disputes with him both concerning his sins and piety. Here a man is drawn into a pit of clay and deep mire, so that he cannot extricate himself, but only sinks deeper and deeper. For it rests upon him as a heavy load and presses him down so that he is not able to rise above it, under which he goes on and it consumes himself with it and cannot obtain peace. As I also feel in my own experience when with my labor I cannot extricate myself, although I labor incessantly and although I strangle myself to get out of the pit, that I might rise above the law and accomplish enough to compel it to be quiet and say, Well, you have done sufficient. No, I am satisfied with thee. 
but it amounts to nothing, for it is such a deep pit and mire out of which no one can emerge, even if he take the whole world to his assistance, as all can bear me witness who have tried it and still daily experience. Now the cause of this is our entire nature so that it is in short inclined to be occupied with works and laws, and hear what they dictate and follow those who say, Why does he eat with the publicans and sinners? If he would eat and drink with us, then he would do right. Again, why do your disciples pluck the ears of corn and do what ought not to be done on the Sabbath? And they always act and dispute with the law until it says, Now you are good. For it cannot rise higher nor understand anything better than that the doctrine of the law is the highest doctrine, and its righteousness is the best life before God. Thus human nature remains in the law forever captive and bound. And as it lays hold and makes attempt, it cannot never quiet the law so that it has nothing to demand or to punish, but is compelled to remain captive under the law as in perpetual prison. The longer human nature struggles and afflicts itself with the law, the worse it becomes until it's entirely overcome. What then am I to do when the law attacks me and oppresses my conscience, because I am conscious of not having done what it requires? I answer, behold, what Christ does here. He sets his hand, head against it and grows firm and allows no law to be forced upon him, even though it is taken from the law of God. Thus you must learn to do and flatly say to it, My dear law, let your contention cease. Go your own way. I have nothing to do with thee. Yes, just because you come to dispute with me and inquire how good I am, I will not hear thee. For nothing avails before this judge with whom we now dispute. Nothing what I am or shall do or not do, but only what Christ is, gives, and does. For we are now in the bridal chamber where the bride and the bridegroom should be alone. You have no right to enter here or speak on this subject. However, in this very way, the law still continues to knock and say, Yay, nevertheless, you must do good works. Keeps God's commandment. If you want to be saved, here, answer again. Do you not clearly hear that it avails nothing now to consider this? For I have already in my righteousness, and the sum of all salvation in Christ my Lord without any works. I was already saved long before thou camest, so that I have no need whatever of thee. For as I said, where works are of no avail, the law also amounts to nothing. And where no law is there is also no sin. Therefore nothing shall rule here except the bride alone, in the bridal chamber with Christ, in whom she possesses all things together and lacks nothing that is necessary unto salvation. And the law must remain excluded with drums and trumpets and courageously despised, banished when it should attack the conscience. For it does not belong here. It comes out of season and wants to make a great ado where it should not intrude. For here we are in the spear of the article of faith. I believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, who suffered for me, died and was buried, rose again from the dead, ascended in heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. Before him must give place the law of Moses, of the emperor, of God, and I am to repeal everything that would dispute with me about sin, right or wrong, and everything I may do. Behold, Christ would here present to us such liberty, so that we Christians, according to our faith, may tolerate no other master. We only hold that we are baptized and called on to Christ, and through him we have become justified and sanctified and say, This is my righteousness, my treasure, my work, everything against sin and wrong which the law can do and bring against me. If you want another righteousness, work, law, sin, and take them where you may, you will not find them in me. In this way, a man may defend himself and withstand the suggestions and temptations of the devil, either referring to the past or present sins, so that these two may be kept wide apart. Moses and Christ works in faith, conscience and outward life, so that when the law attacks me, 
it would terrify my heart that it's time to give the good law a furlough if it would will not go bravely drive it away and say gladly would I do and promote good works where I can at the proper time when among the people but here where my conscience must stand before God I will know nothing of them and this only let me alone and do not speak to me of what I do or fail to do here I will not listen either to Moses or the Pharisees but my baptism of Christ only shall reign here in full sway I will like Mary sit at his feet and hear his word but Martha must stay out and go about the kitchen and do her homework, and in short, leave the conscience alone. But how is it if I continually still have sin in me is certain, certainly not right? I answer, it is true. I am a sinner and can do wrong. But I am not going to despair on that account, or run straight to hell, or flee from law, for I still have righteousness and work far above Moses, by which I apprehended him, who has apprehended, apprehended me, and I cleave to him who has embraced me in baptism, laid me in his bosom, and by his gospel has promoted me to the fellowship of all his benefits. He commands me to believe in him. Where he is, there I command the Pharisees and Moses with his tables, all lawyers with their books, all men with their works, immediately to be silent and to depart. For here no law, no law has any right to accuse or demand. Although I have not done it, nor can I do it, for in Christ I have all things in abundance, whatever I need or lack. For I say, is the Christian's doctrine skill, it belongs only where Christ reigns, and the conscience acts as in God's presence. This is not preached to rough, imprudent, light-minded people who understand nothing of it. And who, as St. Peter says in his second epistle, only confuse and preferred such doctrine to their own condemnation, for which they take license to live as they please, and say, Ho! Why shall I do good works? What harm is it if I'm a sinner? Has not Christ abolished the law? Now this too will not avail, for here you must view Christ from another point and observe what he further does. For here he himself says that he is the man who seeks the poor and lost sheep, and besides proves it by his present deed, and that he receives publicans and sinners and preaches to them. Here you will see that he does a great deal more than what the law has commanded, and by his example also teaches thee to do likewise. He is so proud that he will not be under the law, and again he is so willing that he desires to do more than the law can require. Do thou also likewise? And wait not first until you are driven and tormented by the law, but do what you should on your own account without the law? As Peter admonishes in 1 Peter 2.16, As free, not using your freedom for a cloak of wickedness, but as bound servants of God. And Romans 6.18 says, Being made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. These are they who do all things with a free conscience without the coercing of the law. For the gospel is truly in the heart. It creates a new man who does not wait until the law comes, but being so full of joy in Christ and of desire and love for which is good, he gladly helps and does every good to everyone wherever he can, from a free heart before he ever once thinks of the law. He wholly risks his body and life without asking what he must suffer on the account of it, and thus abounds the good works which flow forth from themselves, just like Christ will not be compelled to pick up a straw, but without compulsion he permits himself to be nailed to the cross for me and the whole world and dies for the lost sheep. This may indeed be called work above work. Therefore learn now carefully to discriminate both rightly to place and to divide these things when it comes to the test 
And when the law and sin would dispute with the conscience, you must courageously take the word out of the mouth of Moses and tell him to be still and order him out of your old man, whom you are to lead into the school of Moses, that he may dispute with him and say, listen, you are both lazy, slow to do good and serve your neighbor. When you should praise Christ, you'd rather drink a bottle of beer. Before you expose yourself to danger for Christ's sake, you prefer to rob, cheat your neighbor wherever you can. For the same lazy scoundrel who will not move, whose hands will not work, whose feet will not go where they should, whose eyes are not chased, here he may take stones and smite the old Adam until he does move. Therefore, when Moses attacks me where it is right, I am to say to him, I will gladly hear and follow thee. Namely, with my hands and my life aside from the faith and righteousness of my conscience before God, there thou mayest reign like a schoolmaster amid the servants of the family, and order me to be obedient, chaste and patient, to do good to my neighbor, and help the poor to praise and honor God. Besides, allow myself to be disgraced and slander for the sake of his word, and suffer the world to bring upon me all its torments. In all this I am well pleased, and I am willing to do even more than I am able as to the outward man. For Christ says the spirit is willing, more than willing, but the flesh is weak. But thus he permits himself to be circumcised, to offer in the temple, to be scourged, crucified, none of which was necessary for him, nor could the law to demand them from him. But should Moses go further, where he has no right, that is, into my heart and conscience, there I will neither hear him nor see him. For there I have another great and unspeakable treasure called Christ, with his baptism and gospel. In a word which concerns the outer man, there Moses cannot burden nor urge too much, but he dare not in the least burden the conscience. For where the Spirit is who brings us Christ, he is above all law. That law was not made for a righteous man, yet he at the same time does more than he is able to accomplish according to the flesh. For after the flesh we are nothing but sinners. As to our person, we would, of course, have to remain condemned under law. But by the virtue of Christ and baptism, we rise high above all law. Thus let Moses carry on his rough work. Aside from Christ, to urge those who are not Christians, forever spur the old Adam. For Christ, Christians he cannot thereby make either pious nor righteous. But of course he does this, namely, he shows them their duty, which according to the Spirit they will gladly do and much more besides, except that the flesh does not willingly follow nor obey the Spirit. Then on this account they still need to be admonished and urged. At the same time, the conscience must remain free, for the law has no right here before God to accuse and condemn. Wherefore, in Christianity, such doctrine and admonition must be upheld, and even the apostles did, whereby everyone is admonished and reminded of the duty of his calling. But Moses must be allowed to have absolute rule over those who are not Christians, and burden them both outwardly and inwardly, so that they, he may force and torment them to do what is right and admit what is wrong. Although they will not do it gladly, like the licentious multitude and the stiff-necked people who neither esteem nor understand the liberty of Christ, although they can prate boast of the gospel, yet they only misuse it for their licentiousness, they should remember that they belong under Moses, for they are not people who can grasp our doctrine. They go along so securely and think they have no need of the gospel, or that they know it well enough, but it is only for those who thus dispute with the law because of their sins and the wrath of God and are frightened by it and feel their hearts say to them, Woe is me! How have I lived? How shall I stand before God? And thus they go about too timid and bashful, whereas others are too hard and presumptuous. 
so that they neither feel nor care for any law nor for their sins or distress. Hence to both it is unequally distributed, so that those who ought to have nothing to do with the law are the only ones to feel it. They have too much of it, but others who ought to feel it do not concern themselves about it at all. Yes, the more you try to terrify them with the law and the wrath of God, the harder they become. Therefore, they need another master, namely the hangman, the sheriff, to teach them. They will not do good in God's name, that they may be obliged to do it in the name of someone else. Have no thanks for it, but receive hellfire and all torments as their reward. On the contrary, Christ here and everywhere, as I have said, teaches us who feel our sins and the burden of the law, and would gladly be Christians, both by his example and his sermons, to accustom ourselves to contend against it and direct us from ourselves to himself, and then not give place to the devil who by the law would invade the bride chamber of Christ and sin in his place, that is, rob the conscience of his joy and comfort, in order they may force man into despair, so as not to be able to lift up his head or heart to God. For this is called the Christian's art, who should learn and know more than the vulgar, profane crowd can know and understand, namely that they are able to contend against and withstand the devil when he attacks us and desires to dispute with us with the aid of Moses, that we simply allow him no argument or conversation, but direct him from Moses to Christ and stay with the latter, for he only goes about cunningly to bring us from Christ under Moses, for he knows when he accomplishes this, he has the victory. Wherefore, be on our guard that you be not led from the way, or be tempted out of your spirit. But although he already sets forth many things from the law, which is also God's word, which you are duty-bound to obey, you can answer him, say, Dost thou indeed not understand that I will not now neither nor hear any law? For we are now within a spear and on ground, where there is no question as to what I shall do or leave undone. I already know well enough that I have not done, nor do I do, what the law requires. Here is the question. How may I acquire gracious God and the forgiveness of sins? How shall I learn the article of faith concerning Christ? Here I will abide in the arms of Christ and hang about his neck and creep into his baptism. God granted, let the law say and my heart feel what they may. If we can only keep this chief part pure, this bulwark firm and well secured, then I will gladly do and suffer externally as much as laid upon me. Behold, whoever le learns this art well is truly perfect man, as Christ was, so far above all law that he might also call St. Peter a devil, the Pharisees fools and blind leaders, and stop the mouth of Moses, and order him to keep quiet, and thus live entirely without any law, yet fulfill all laws, and be proud and firm against everything that would bind and lead him captive, and yet also of his own free self be serviceable and subject unto all men. But here we are always deficient that we can never properly learn this. For the devil lies in our path and leads us so far that we pervert it and are only too willing and modest to hear everything the law says and become frightened at it, when we should raise our head and neither hear nor follow it. Again, in external matters, we are only too liable to fall into license, when we should courageously keep down the body and exercise it with the law. Then it may be compelled to suffer everything that causes it pain, because it still continually commits sin, yet... So, so that the sin here remain without where it should remain and have it, its Moses to lay upon his back and oppress it. But internally no sin or law ought to reign, but Christ alone with pure grace, joy, and consolation. 
Then all things would go right, and man would be prepared for every good work, both to do and suffer all things with joy, with a glad and willing heart, out of good, honest faith in the grace of God through Christ, so that the conscience remain a master over all laws, and the flesh be subject to all laws. Now whoever can do such things, let him thank God and see to it, that he be able to do it only not too well or loudly boast that he has great skill. For I and those like me cannot yet accomplish it as we should, although we have indeed tried it most and practiced it the longest. For it is, as I have said, a skill that no one possesses but Christians, all of whom must remain scholars and learn it all their lives, except only those who are secure spirits who pretend that they alone know everything. And yet with such pretended skill, they know nothing at all, and thereby have departed furthest from it. There is no more vex vexatious thing, nor a greater affliction or harm that can happen to Christendom than that everything becomes full of factions, sects, through such sophists. While they are only people who serve neither God nor the world, hear rightly neither the law nor the gospel, but securely despise the former and become disgusted with the latter, we are always seeking some other doctrine, but we do not preach in their behalf. For they are unworthy of it, and are punished by God so that they can never learn it, nor derive any benefit from it. Although they hear it also that we nevertheless only retain it, they take nothing from it from us, except that they hear only an empty sound and noise of it. This is the fir first part which Christ here teaches by his own example. How we should keep our conscience free from all dispensations of the law, from all terrors of the wrath of God and of sin. Now let us examine this beautiful sermon of the Lord. And there, Luther leaves off the first half of his sermon and picks up with the second. Here, though, we are well into uh, a long uh, diatribe here from a sermon. So I think it would be best to leave off here. Thank you so much for listening to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnard. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you could please do me a favor, could you head over to anchorfm.com? And give the show a review, a like, a follow. And this would increase our visibility amongst those in the, the podcast community on Anchor. In addition, if you would be so kind, could you please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review on the podcast. This would greatly heighten, again, our vi visibility on that, on that device and that podcast catcher. And would do well to advertise the show and it would be a free means of supporting the show. Thank you so much. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may God persevere you steadfast in the one true faith given unto the saints everlasting. May he persevere you so that, brothers and sisters, I stand with you before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, free from sin, free from death, in perfect unity in heaven, worshiping our God and Savior Jesus Christ as we ought to now perfectly. Till then, brothers and sisters, God bless. Thank you so much for listening to Voices of Church Past. I've been your host, Rob Barnhart.